Well, if you do have your Bibles, uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 33 this morning. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We praise you that we have this opportunity this morning. We praise you for being our God. We praise you that you are in the heavens and that your glory is everywhere present and seen, that you manifest to us who you are. And this morning we ask of you, O Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would have an understanding, a better understanding of who you are that you would reveal yourself to us. For, Lord, there's nothing greater and nothing better than to see you, than to know you. And so this morning, O Lord, we trust that you will open our eyes so that we can see you, that you will work mightily in our hearts and our minds this morning. Cause us to delight in you. Cause us to trust you. Cause our hearts to be committed fully to you. For we ask this in Jesus, your beloved Son. Amen. Well, what I would like to do this morning is to take you from where you're seated right now, from where you're at, from what's going on in your mind right now, and take you out of your situation, your current right now, and what's going on in your life, what's going on in your world it's, it isn't uncommon for all of us to be bombarded with the cares and the concerns of this world. You come here this morning and I have no idea kind of all the details of your week and what's happened and what's going on or what you're thinking or where you're at. But I can guarantee you this, that if you will set your mind on things above, if you will have a set your mind on God and have a vision of who he is, and, and if, if God grants you grace to see him and to know him, that you, as you are transported from the cares of this world into the thoughts of who he is, and as you know him, and as you see him, and as you understand him, you will be transported, as it were, from this world, from your cares, and it will transform your life. I'm constantly, especially recently, being struck by the passage in John, John's Gospel, where he says, now this is eternal life that they may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It keeps coming back to me and back to me. And, and, and one of the things that I'm struck with is how true it really is that life and life everlasting is found in knowing God, knowing him, knowing who he, who he is. And it truly, the more you know him, the more life you have the more full of life you are. The less you know him, the less you know of him, the less life you have. So this morning, it's my hope that as we look at Psalm 33, our minds, our hearts, our thoughts would be lifted up and caught up in God and who he is. Transported from this world, and that I I just pray that the Lord would help us to see him, that we would know him, because it truly is amazing. Because in his presence, as Psalm 16 says, is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist throughout the Psalms gets this. He says, I would rather spend a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. 
he knows that it's just to, to be in God's presence to know him is the greatest thing. Spurgeon once preached, would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billow of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. This is exactly what happened to me recently as I went through, as I was reading Psalm 33. It began to explode my mind, and I began to realize that as you, you see God clearly, as you know him and his greatness, it changes everything. So as we look at the Psalms this morning, Psalm 33, the first thing I want us to, to see, and we're going to use some slides this morning, I want us to see that he makes everything all things. He makes heaven and earth by his very word. His very word brings it into existence. The psalmist is trying to help us to see something about the power and the glory of God. Verses 6 through 7 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps into storehouses. You know, there's nothing greater than be able to speak. Think of this, to be able to speak by his breath of his mouth, speak and create the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. You know, if I were in a fight with somebody and I won, it proves that you're stronger than the other person. There was a fight last night. Caught everyone's attention. <laughs> One of the biggest fights of all time. And these two contenders, McGregor and Mayweather, uh, Mayweather were going to go together and fight to see who was the victor. Who could claim victory? Who could say they're the strongest and the best? A little bit of an unfair match. But Mayweather proved, obviously, as most people thought, that he was the victor. But imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're in there with the biggest giant ever known. So here I am, let me go in the ring. There I am, this small frame fella, in there with a giant, nine feet tall. Never been defeated, strong as you can imagine. And there I stood, meekly, in my shorts that were too big, and in a tank top that looked funny, <laughs> against a giant. And I said, be done. And he melted like wax. Now, if you saw that kind of power, that would freak you out. Because it's a kind of power that's beyond what we normally experience or understand. We had a, we had a situation or a scenario where this just is, it's beyond, it blows our minds because it just doesn't even seem to make sense. How does the skinny small guy destroy this giant with a word? Who is this? Who is this person? And this is why it's such a marvel when he says he's trying to help you understand. Do you understand the heavens and the earth? He says he created by the words, the heavens and the earth were made. He gathers the waters together as a heap. I've actually, I 
I put some visuals in here because we're not, if we were outside or something, you could see things. Creation is just shouting to us and declares to us this amazing greatness of our God. And so I want us to see something for a second. You ever you know, watch NASA photos or whatever, they're out in space and they see certain things. And you see these, we've all seen, probably seen videos or we've seen pictures like this. And just think, here's the earth, the moon, and the sun, and the stars. God's, the psalmist says, take a look. When he looks out in the heavens, he didn't even have this vantage point. He says, one of the things he says, who is man that God is even mindful of him? And yet God spoke this with a mere word. If we go further out we, into the universe, we see crazy things like this. This universe, and it's infinite. There's like, there's no end to it. The size is, it's, it's, it actually makes your head hurt. You ever watch those videos that show, you know, you go from earth and they just go back up and it takes a few minutes and they go all out into the unknown and they, and you see how small you are. You see how grand it is. And, and I, I don't know about you, but whenever I see this kind of stuff, it just starts to overwhelm me almost and I want to fall on my face in worship. Our God spoke and this came into existence. If we go back into earth, we says, it says, he gathers the waters of the, together, of the sea together as a heap. You look at the water, it says, have you ever been struck by the mass, by the grandeur, by just the awesome depths of the ocean? It's, it's stunning. It's striking. I've heard it said that we know more about the surface of the moon than the depths of the ocean. You can't even go down there in a lot of cases. The creatures that live within it, all that it is, it's a universe all of its own. How about the mountains, he says. He talks, have you ever seen, if you've been around the mountains, last weekend I was up in Wenatchee, and we're right on the base of these grand mountains, and they're just majestic and awesome. Up, it's up in near Lake Wenatchee, which is in those mountains that are by Leavenworth. Awesome, majestic, powerful. And he spoke and they came to be by his mere word. It's truly, truly astounding. And then the psalmist concludes... Because of this, because of his mere word, his mere power, the fact that he just spoke and all that is, all that we know came into existence. This is the response in verse 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He's like, do you understand? Look at the glory. Look at how awesome it is. Look at what you see. See and understand. He spoke it. What should be this response when you know that he spoke it? Fear the Lord and stand in awe of him because he is awesome. The psalmist is in complete and utter awe when he looks around and sees God's creation, when he observes the heavens and then contemplates the fact that God merely spoke. The psalmist has the grace of faith because the psalmist sees. 
There's those who see and don't perceive. You can see all the glories, you can see the wonder, and it's all shouting. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth His handiwork. It's declaring. It's shouting. It's showing you how awesome, how great our God is. When a heart believes, when a heart sees, when a person can perceive, oh my God, you spoke this. What's the only natural response? What should we do? The psalmist says, fear the Lord and stand in awe of Him or, or, or fall on your face and worship. Like, wow. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, tremendous gift. If you can look out on creation, you can look at the sunrise or sunset. Many of you, perhaps many of you saw the solar eclipse. You see things in creation like this. You see this, the beautiful heavens, the stars at night. You see the ocean, the seas, and the lakes, and the meadows. You see the deer and the, and the grizzly bear. You see all these things, and they're shouting to you. They're declaring to you. Don't get lost in them. Get lost in the God who made them. They're declaring to you this awesome God who spoke and they came into existence. When you see beauty, you're seeing the beauty of the Lord. When you're seeing grandeur, you're seeing the grandeur of the Lord. When you see majesty, you're seeing the majesty of the Lord. When you, when you see terror and, and darkness, you're seeing the terror and darkness of the Lord. You're seeing all of creation is declaring to you what your God is like. And whenever you turn it, it turns you to worship. It fills you with all wonder, joy, and delight. So the first reason why we're, we're told to fear and trust God is because he merely spoke and all of it was created. The psalmist gives us a second reason why we're to fear and trust God, which is found in verses 10 through 12. Here's how it reads. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. You know, just for a moment, imagine all the councils that gather together at the White House on Capitol Hill, and in the Pentagon. Do you realize all those councils, the councils of this nation, the U.S. being, at this particular point, probably the most powerful nation on earth, you have men and women in seats of power who probably gloat and think that all their plan, planning and their seats of power are something awesome and glorious. Here we affect the nations of the world. But as these men and women meet, the text says our God is over them. And he brings, he's able to bring their plans to nothing. He's able to frustrate them in their arrogance. And he does it without them even noticing. Because unlike, he doesn't have to be an active agent outside, he can be an active agent inside it all. Invisible to the eye. Working in frustrating plans. You can guarantee that so many people who have seats of power are impressed by their seats of power, and in some cases, just filled with pride and arrogance. And yet God, without any effort, 
can make them look foolish. Just think of this. Think of how God took two of the craziest and funniest characters that you can almost imagine in the United States, at least that's what it seems like to me, in Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And he caused them to be the final two candidates of a presidential race. And then he turned the outcome of the race completely upside down and confounded the big and powerful structures that be. From politicians to the media and everybody in between. How did this happen? He then put a person in power of this great nation, which is this nation has become very proud and arrogant. And so God, talk about frustrating, talking about doing things that are just almost um, humiliating. He puts someone in power who many are just elated because he's simply because of the party he's with. Many are elated because he's, he's done some things that overturn what Obama has done. But if you think about it, he's a little bit of a buffoon in the way he conducts himself. He tweets things like this. Lightweight Senator Rand Paul should focus on trying to get elected in Kentucky, a great state that's embarrassed by him. He's the president tweeting about Senator. Or, how, or he tweets, the president for the pathetic club for growth came to my office in New York City and asked for a ridiculous $1 million, $1 million contribution. I said, no way. Or how about when he said, tweeted this, Meghan McCain was terrible on the five yesterday. Angry and obnoxious, she will never make it on TV. Fox News can do so much better. It's, it's actually kind of funny in one way. Because I read this passage and I think about how God, what he can do and how he can work. It's like, is that the most presidential? Is that the best 350 million people can do? They can find. He, God is at work doing what, is, doing what he does. And you think of the arrogance and the, and the pride that comes from being the biggest and the best. And, and yet God says, watch this. All these people, all these councils, all this might. And I put someone like that in power. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's just, this is what he can do. This is what he does do. And how does he do it? You know, this is the thing. We cannot know the secret counsels of the Lord. We don't know. Like, he's able to work in and through things and stuff and people. It's, it's not even visible and stuff happens. He can overthrow and overturn quite easily. And he does it. Just go read history. It happens constantly. The greatest nations on the earth that always thought they could never be taken down, somehow are taken down. How is that possible? Well, they're so big, they're so powerful, they're so mighty. Well, because God sits on his throne. He frustrates the councils of the nations. You know, even when it comes to war, and I think I have this in the next one, yes. When it comes to war, God decrees what happens. He says in verses 16 and 17, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. 
Now, this is actually a little bit troubling for us because we know that often, who do we, what do we trust in? If we're going to go to war and I have a great big gun and there's a little gun, what would I choose? What would give me the best advantage? The great big gun. You can have the pea shooter. I'll have this 50 caliber machine gun. Good luck with the pea shooter, right? In the world we live in, we understand might and power and force generally and typically wins. And, and here's the thing. God has ordered the world, so this is generally true. He, he knows that men find patterns. And the pattern is the, the, the victory usually normally goes to the strong, right? And so what we see is we see patterns. I got God figured out. I know exactly what's going to happen. And so what we tend to do is we tend to put our trust, we tend to put our confidence in things with power, things with might, the things that have like all these proven track records. And so, uh, you know, I can do the math and I understand I'll put my trust and my confidence in that. But the Lord has said here that the war horse is a false hope for salvation. By its great might, it cannot rescue he says, the king is not saved by its awesome and mighty army. Well, you're, hold on, wait a second. God, why is that normally the case? Because that's normally how I've ordered the world to function, he says. But it's because I've ordered the world to function that way. At any given moment, any moment, I can turn the whole thing upside down. And when I want to, I do. Generally speaking, this is how I've shaped the world, but I'm Lord over that world. So generally speaking, this is how I order all things to happen. But if you then put your hope, your hope in those things, and this is what you trust in, and this is what you lean on, it's a false hope. Israel's history, if you go back and look at it, they, they were the same as us, weren't they? They could conclude you need strength and you need power and you need might. And when they were in trouble, what would, where would they often turn? to the strength and power of might of the other nations. And what would God do? God would overturn them and be against them. Time and time again. God is not, if, the, if those who are small and those who are weak turn and put their trust and hope and salvation in the Lord, he rises up on their behalf and delivers. God is for them. Just think of how this works. The, God is at work in the, in the things that sometimes don't make sense. Think of Samson. Samson, how is it possible that a guy can take the jawbone of an ass and wipe out a thousand Philistines? Warriors. How is it possible that he can tear apart a lion? It's not possible, earthly speaking. But in each case, you know what it says? The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And now all these things become like twigs to him. Because God works in and through things, and he has a normal way of working in and through things, so we begin to begin to actually fear and trust and hope in the things, and not in him. But those who know him, those who understand him, and those who believe his word, are the ones who see great exploits done through them and in them by God. This was by those who believe, by those who trust in the Lord, by those who know it's not in the war horse, it's in God. So why should we fear the Lord? Why should we trust the Lord? The psalmist says, because 
He messes with the mighty and the strong. He messes with the councils of the nations. He messes with them and he does whatever he wants. He's not only did he speak creation into existence, he's involved in the works of the nations and armies and powers and authority and he does what he wants. He's over them. Psalmist gives us another reason. He says, why should we trust and fear the Lord? He, gets, he goes from the macro to the micro. Not just because he's over everything and he's big and he's far away. and he's not, he's not just dealing with nations. He says, hold on, stop. Don't just think he's this big controller of nations. He's also control of the micro. He goes down, he says, because he makes, makes and observes every single person. Look at verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So not only does God control and observe powerful nations, he observes and controls every individual. And when it says that he sees all of them, it means that even though his glory and center is in the highest heavens where his, his glory and person dwells, he by the Spirit is everywhere present. He's unlike us. When we could, we could focus, we could watch. If you were to watch some people, well, you can watch a few people. You can watch only a couple people closely. And so we have a hard time relating to this. How does he watch every single individual? How does he watch all their deeds? How can he know, how can he knit billions of people's hearts together and know billions of people's deeds and know billions of people's thoughts and, and observe billions of people? How's that possible? It's possible because our God by the Spirit is everywhere present. Our God is awesome. Our God is all wise. Our God is everywhere present. In Revelation 4 and 5, John has a vision of the throne room of God. And there in that vision, he sees seven horns with seven eyes. It says, which are the seven spirits of God. Like, what? But there was the spirit of God. Seven horns, seven eyes, seven... Those, and that, those are the seven eyes or the seven spirits of God. Now, the question, I guess, is what is that? Why would it say the seven spirits of God? What we have to understand is the book of Revelation and how the whole thing is put together and realize that what's intended there is that the word seven is used all over the place. The, the word seven is explicitly used throughout the book 49 times. You know what 49 is? Seven times seven. Whoa. <laughs> Just learn that. <laughs> The other thing is, throughout, it doesn't explicitly say seven, but there are seven. There's seven cycles, seven B, seven, seven. There's like 20 things that there's seven of. It doesn't say there's seven, but if you count them, well, and behold, there's seven. Seven throughout this book everywhere. And seven is this number of completeness and perfection. We see at the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he took, he created them six days. On the seventh day, he rested. It was complete. It was finished. It was perfect. Everything's very good. And throughout scripture, you'll see sevens, sevens mark when God's using sevens. Completeness, it's complete and it's perfect. And this is what we have to understand. When it's saying seven, the seven eyes on the seven, um, 
horns, which are the seven spirits of God, it's talking about the completeness of God's spirit, the perfection of a spirit, the fact that his spirit is everywhere. His eye sees everything. It's not incomplete in, every, in any way. The psalmist in, in Psalm 139, 2 through 10, declares what this is like, the fact that he's overwhelmed by this thought, this understanding that God sees all things. He says this, you know, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind me and before me and lay your hand upon me. Listen how he, what he says next. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. It's beyond the heavens even. I cannot attain it. My brain goes... It's like, think of that. Wow. He goes on to say, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven... Guess what? You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, guess what? You're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. The psalmist is saying every single thing, thought, word, and deed, with every single person, He goes on in that psalm to talk about, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Well, then, did he knit me? Yeah, he knit every single one of you. Right now, he's knitting together millions of people. How? By the Spirit. And you can't fully wrap your head around it. Your head just... Because a limited, finite creature who's just bound in all around, you and I are just bound to where we're at, our own space and our time, cannot comprehend the, in, the infinite. We know that he and, he, and he says it, and this is how he works, but it's hard for the mind to grasp. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. You know, the minutia of life, the details of your life, the minutes of your life? Have you ever wondered, God, where are you? God, have you forsaken me? Hello? Where are you at? Anybody home? You ever have that experienced? I guarantee you have. Because there's times when you do not sense or you're you're not even, you're not believing, you're doubting. And God, it's like, God, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's right there with you. He is with you. He is in you. He's upholding you. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything. The only one who ever has a problem in that situation is us. God is, he's in it. He's there. He, 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 by his spirit, knows and sees all. He's not far off as somehow you have to call a long distance and wait for that long distance call to come back. We often don't like his silence and we often don't believe he's really with us and that's the problem. The problem is with us. The problem is with us believing. 
We don't believe that he's near. We doubt. But when we believe and we're confident of his nearness, God has made us in such a way that upon our believing, when we believe it, we realize it. When we believe it, we experience it. Somebody who's absolutely confident and is like, when you think of this, the God who created heaven and earth, the God who, who's over nations, the God who knit me together, that God is with me. The person who believes that, not just like cognitively knows that, but believes that and confident about it, it's like their soul explodes. The thought of that. Wow. The God of heaven and earth is with me. He upholds me. He goes before me and behind me. He's for me. He loves me. You find a person who completely is, is confident of that and convicted of that, and their soul is exploding. And they're just like overwhelmed by this incredible thought. You know, the point of all of this, the point of what the psalmist is trying to do, he's trying to see his, his glory, his power, the supreme glory and power of God over all things, over the minutia and over the grand scale of the nations, over everything that exists. He's trying to help us to see God is above all, in all, upholds all. And he's awesome. This is why the response is this. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Now when it says this, it doesn't mean his eyes aren't on those who do not, but what he means is in a a delightful, pleasurable, um, blessing kind of way, like a love. So he's not contradicting himself. I thought his eyes are on everyone, and now it seems to indicate he's just on those who love him. No, this is a special way in which he looks upon us, those in whom he loves. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. So this great, awesome, and supremely powerful God is for those and with those in a very, very special way, those who fear him and trust in his steadfast love. This means that there are those who have his special care and protection over them. There are those in whom he delights. These are the ones who are saved from their enemies, it says, who are delivered from eternal death and given eternal life, who are kept alive during famines, he says. Of course, this doesn't mean that those who trust him and fear him have it easy or won't face hardships or won't die horrible deaths. Because you can kind of get from this, wow, pretty much you think of it, He's with those in a very special way and even keeps their soul from death, when the, the eternal death. He's not in their soul from going, departing from him forever. But he also keeps them alive during famine. Well, even that, you got to understand that he might keep you alive, but you might have went through a seriously <laughs> tough and difficult time. He doesn't, we don't want to get the ideas like, oh, they just have it easy. Cakewalk, God is with me. Life's going to be a joy. Wait a second, it's not. Is God not with me? Is this all a lie? No, it's not what he means. In, in this, you've got to understand that the Lord is with you. He's in with you. And so, like even the psalmist says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. Yet the Lord delivers them from them all. 
in one way or another, whether he delivers their soul or whether he delivers them physically or in, he's delivering them. He's with them. Just ask those who go through hellish situations and who yet trust the Lord. They might be delivered in some miraculous way or they might not be. But whatever the case, they will all testify to you that the Lord was with them. I met the Lord in my darkest, deepest trials in that valley of the shadow of death. You know what? I met the Lord in a powerful way that I never knew him before. He came to me. Did he just deliver me and was all things awesome and and changed everything? No. The circumstances remained the same, but he met me in the midst of it. He comforted me. He drew near to me as I drew near to him. He was my help. He was my hope. He was my salvation in the midst of it. I recall the story of the martyr Thomas Hawks, who was to be burned at the stake. And his friends said to him while he was in prison awaiting, say, let us know, please, if the Lord is with you. And if, and if you can withstand the flames, raise your hand as a sign to us. Because they're, can you imagine they're terrified? Burned at the stake? I almost couldn't imagine anything worse. So after spending the night in prayer and, and casting his heart upon the Lord, he goes to the stake and as he's bound up there, he's given a moment to speak and he proclaims to these people the Lordship of Jesus and the fact that, you know, what they're doing is sin. This is sinful. And he declares to them the fact that they need to repent and seek the Lord. And then the flames started. And it said, and actually as I was reading this yesterday, it was a, yeah, it was yesterday. It said that he started, his skin actually started melting. And it's, it was actually to the point, and they're wondering, oh no, he's not raising his hands. Because it got to the point where there's no possible way he could actually raise his hands. How can you, you can't raise your hands when you're that much deteriorated. And he says, and all of a sudden, he just raised his hand, he raised both hands, and he clapped them three times. And they said, they let out a loud shout. See, the Lord didn't deliver him from the flames, and so it's like some miraculous showed up, uh, you know, no flames for you. No, but he met him in the midst of the flames and empowered him and comforted him, and was with him in a powerful way. Now, this is, this is always troubles us. This is always difficult. God's sovereign. God is over all. God is mighty. God is powerful. God creates heavens and earth with a, with a breath. He's over nations, and he's in the details of life, and yet we suffer, and yet we go through trials and difficulties, and yet we look at people and say, God, where are you? What are you doing? you've got to understand that his ways are not our ways. We cannot understand the counsels of the Lord. His wisdom is perfect. And yet he's doing stuff in here so that we're eyes are, oh, our eyes are always messing with us. We see things and say, God, where are you? But the people who cry out to the Lord, the people who put their trust in the Lord, you'll find that in the midst of the darkest times in their lives, they will testify to you, the Lord was with me, the Lord met me. The Lord comforted me. 
He met me in, a, in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. His grace is truly sufficient. I remember someone asking me, a friend of mine one time, um, about the situation with Antonia. He says, Dean, what, what's the number one thing you, you've learned? Without hesitation. It's like the, the one thing I, I know is that God's grace is sufficient. I'm con- he meets you. He upholds you. He takes you when you're down on your face and you cry out to him and you, and you cast your cares upon him. He, he comes to you and he doesn't come in a way that's like he didn't deliver me phys- from the situation, but he delivered me. He met me in, in, the, in the soul in a powerful way, in ways that, so the eye doesn't see, but the soul knows. It's beyond comprehension. I love how this verse puts it. Because not only is God with us in a special way when we trust him, but at the end of verse 21, he says, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Here he talks about what happens, where this, there's this experiential knowledge. Look at the words. My heart is glad in him because, oh, sorry, our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. The heart becomes glad when it trusts in him. You know, there's nothing like a heart that believes, knows who God is and believes and trusts in it. You know, another verse that's really been kind of my turning into, like just this verse I love because it just so centers my mind and regains my perspective is Isaiah 41.10, which says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I help you, I strengthen you, and I will comfort and I uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, when you know the God of heaven and earth, the one we're talking about here, and that's the God who says, I'm with you? <laughs> if that God is with me, that's clear and obvious. Fear not. Fear not. I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. You do not have a puny God. I love that scene in the, in the, um, ah, remember where the, um, was it the Hulk that grabs the Loki? I love that. <laughs> Starts bashing him back and forth. He says, puny God. <laughs> puny God is right. We don't have a puny God. We have an awesome God, the God whose very words upholding it all. His word has spoken, and because his word is spoken, we we're like, how do we spin and float in nothing? Like, we don't, these, it's because we're upheld by the word of his power. That's the God we serve. And when that God says to you, listen, fear not, I am with you. I'm convinced that if we believe the Lord, if we knew who was with us, if we knew who was on our side, we would stand up and be the most confident people in the world. Whom shall I fear? Though a thousand, though a million gather against me. If the Lord be for me, no man, no army, no nothing can stand against me. If God is for me and he's on my side, nothing, no one can stand against me. Our biggest problem is fearing him, trusting in him. 
For he's spoken already. He's declared. He's promised to you. This is he's spoken. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. The God of heaven and earth has said to you already. He's already given the promise. Don't, oh God, please be with me. No, he said, I'm with you. Fear not. I'm with you. Be not dismayed. And we start getting trouble when we start fearing and when we get dismayed. Oh no. Oh no, God, please. Please, oh God, please. You forgot. Have you forgotten me? No, he hasn't. The heart that doesn't believe feels fear, feels anxiety, feels trouble. It's, 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 it's not comforted. The heart that trusts and fears him. It says, what does it say? For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. The heart that lays hold of this God, the person who says, he is my God. What can man do to me? What can you do to me? Honestly, if God is for me and he says he is, I know he is. I'm to fear not. I love what Daniel 11 says. They that know their God display strength and take action. That's a whole book is about displaying strength and taking action because they trust God. They know God. And that's the problem. I think most of the time what we have is we have a lot of information about God. Every one of us here this morning could have passed a test. Hand it out. Okay, here. Who is God? Did he create heaven and earth? Oh, yes. Check. Did, did he just create it with his very word, upholds all things by the word of his power? Oh, yes. Check. Is he over all things, over the nations and controls and governments? Oh, yeah. Check. Is he, is he in, involved in the minutia of life and controls all things, even the details of your comings and going and your birth and your days and your thoughts and all these little details in the minutia. Oh, yes, check. Wow, that's pretty phenomenal. You must walk in boldness. You must walk in confidence. You must walk in peace. Your heart must be bursting with gladness. No. What's the problem? Well, uh, I don't know. I guess I know it. Problems is we don't believe it. It's always our problem. Unbelief is always the problem. Always. But I'm a believer. I know. Disciples believed Jesus, but he often said that they had no faith or little faith. The problem with us is believing, laying hold and becoming confident. I love how Hebrews 11, 1 says what faith is. The assurance. Think of this. The assurance. When you're assured of something, you're like, you're confident. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Love it. Now that's faith. We think we have faith. But I think it's so often the case, we do not have faith. We do not have assurance and conviction. Uh, uber confident. Why are you so confident? Are you kidding me? The God of heaven and earth is with me. He goes before me and behind me. He is my God. I trust him. How couldn't you be confident? And see, this is the thing. We, we confuse ourselves with under, knowing facts about him. We think, well, I know him and I know about him and I, and I'm a believer. But there's no conviction. There's no solid grasp that he is my God. 
You know, knowing this and understanding this and believing this is what fills the heart with this gladness, as he says. This is why Paul could say that I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing. He knows him. (laughs) And it's not like I just have a bunch of facts about him. I know him, and he is with me. Game changer. You know, I just want to ask you a question as we close this morning. What is it you fear in your life? What is it you're overwhelmed by? Finances? Relationships? Job? Homeschooling? Bills? Kids? Discipline? In-laws? All the above? Certainly I've hit you somewhere. (laughs) Fears and worries, things you're overwhelmed by. Whatever they are, I can guarantee you that you're fearful and overwhelmed by them because you're looking at them and they're big. And when you compare them to you and to your resources, to your strengths, to your talents, to your abilities, to what you have, to what you possess, and you see yourself as small, when you see your cares and concerns of this world are big and you and what you have, your resources are small, what does that do to you? That overwhelms you. That causes the heart to fear. You're troubled every time. That's what happens to us. You know, think of somebody on the other hand who sees their God is the God of heaven and earth. He spoke heavens and earth in existence. He's over the nations, over all things, controlling all things, all that comes to pass. He works in the minutia of life, in my life, in all people's lives. That's my God. And he is with me. When my God blows up and I know that he is with me, what do you think happens to the cares and concerns of this world? When God is big, your God is big, your problems become real small. When your problems are big, your God has evidently become real small. It's a perpetual problem we have. And let me just tell you this. As you run into life, into your days and what you're doing, your activity, when you your head comes off the pillow and you get moving, how long before the cares and the concerns of this world hit you? Not very long. If you get thinking and your brain gets going, what ends up happening is that they start to getting bigger. And have you ever felt, you ever get totally overwhelmed and so you're depressed and you want to crawl in bed and sleep? You've got no strength, no energy. You're overwhelmed by your situation. And that will happen every single time without fail whenever the problems, the cares and concerns of this world become big and you've not thought about God and he's... he's, At the very least, maybe he's big in theory, but he's off the table. He's not even in your thoughts. I want to tell you this morning that when your head comes off the pillow, your feet hit the ground, the number one priority you have is to set your mind on the things of God, is to set your mind on who God is. You know the reason why you read your Bible? Because from beginning to end, the Bible is telling you one thing. My God is awesome. My God saves. My God delivers. My God is the God of heaven and earth. My God created all things. He is my God, and my God is with me. 
If you're not getting that, and you're, the whole point of going in the Word is that when God just gets bigger and bigger and greater and greater and greater, and everything else just fades away. Then take on your day, filled with strength, filled with confidence, filled with a glad heart that comes from knowing your God. Our God is supremely powerful, and our God is with all those who fear Him and trust Him. He's with you. That awesome God is with you. Let that sink in. You're different people. But guess what? Tomorrow morning, this whole issue, this whole thing, has got to get resettled in your heart and your mind. Every day. It's like manna. You ate this morning, you ate today. Tomorrow morning, this this bread's no good tomorrow. You've got to eat again. Delight in him again. He's got to get big again. Your full confidence, trust can be in him. Do that and you will live. Live life to the fullest. Amen. Father, we are so thankful that you are our God and we are your people. That you're awesome, you're glorious, you're above the heavens and the earth, you're above all things, you control all things, decree all things, you are the one who works in the hearts and lives of men, you are the one who controls us, you're the one who's over us and governs us. Oh Lord, I pray for us as your people, may we see you, may we know you, may we delight in you, and may you become awesome and supreme and powerful and good to us, and may we cast ourselves fully upon you. May we fear you and delight in you and trust in you. Oh, Lord God, do this for us. Give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear, oh, Lord. For when we see you and when we know you and when we trust in you, our hearts will be glad and we will be filled with all kinds of joy and confidence. Oh, Lord, we ask in the beloved name of your your Son, our Lord Jesus, amen.